0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to Building Tradition, where we tell the stories of architects, contractors, building owners, preservationists, building artisans, and allied traditional building professionals. Building Tradition is produced by Traditional Building Magazine and TraditionalBuilding.com. I'm your host, Peter Miller. History informs the future, and so do our guests. We're talking today with Dr. Kermit Baker, who is the chief economist for the American Institute of Architects. Kermit earned his doctorate in urban planning at MIT and his master's degree in urban planning at Harvard. Kermit Baker analyzes business and construction trends for the U.S. economy and examines their impact on the architectural profession. He lectures frequently to industry groups. He has recently retired from the Remodeling Futures Program, where he was a senior research fellow at the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies. As such, he's one of the few economists I know who has his finger on the pulse of the remodeling, renovation, and repair markets. Welcome, Kermit.
1: Pete, good to be with you. Good to be with your listeners here today.
0: So what does your crystal ball tell you about architectural billings in the coming year, 2024?
1: Pete, architecture firms are ending up 2023 on a, uh, on, a on a bit of a down note. Uh, they've reported fairly significant declines in billings um, for the last two months. Um, and it doesn't look like it's going to improve anytime soon. And I say that because we also, in addition to billings, we also track new work coming into architecture firms. Uh, those have been just as soft as billings. We, we we track inquiries for future projects. Uh, those have been weak recently. And we track um, backlogs at architecture firms, and they have declined about 10% over the past year. So uh, first half of 2024 is going to be, I think, a, a bit challenging for architecture firms. I think we'll see improvement by the second half of the year.
0: It probably varies by building type. I hear, for example, anecdotally that data centers are – in demand, but what building and construction types are doing well now and into the future and what types will not?
1: So on the list of uh, sectors that are doing well, number one is manufacturing. We've just seen a huge surge of uh, construction and manufacturing uh, facilities. Uh, number two, distribution centers, I think pretty much related to uh, the growth in e commerce. E commerce has grown about 15% per year in, in recent years. Obviously, the pandemic gave a real boost to that. You mentioned data centers. They're, they're a small niche, but, but a super red hot niche. Um, healthcare, again, for kind of obvious reasons, has done very well recently, Pete, one of the few sectors that didn't see a cl- decline during the uh, pandemic recession. Um, so I, those are the hot ones. And unfortunately, um, other than, uh, healthcare, uh, architects don't get a lot of work out of manufacturing. They don't get a lot of work out of distribution. They don't get a lot of work out of data centers. So that, that hasn't helped them too much. Uh, on the, on the negative side, unfortunately are some areas that have been, uh, um, traditionally strong sectors for architecture firms, offices, obviously number one. Uh, or, or you know, uh, obviously, it's been hurt by, by recent trends. Uh, traditional brick and mortar retail uh, has been soft also. So, uh, kind of a mixed bag out there in terms of what we're seeing. Uh,
0: what about adaptive use? A lot of old building inventory that's been uh, remade. You know, old banks being turned into boutique hotels. Um, do you, can you track that? Can you speak to that?
1: We, we, we do track the the general uh, uh, phenomena uh, uh, Pete and um, reconstruction work um, we think is a um, underreported sector in terms of the construction industry um, we have been surveying architecture firms for the last two decades on how much they work how much work they get from the reconstruction market um, and you know two decades ago it was almost a third of their work was coming from reconstruction. Uh, During the great recession, it it bumped up to the mid 40% of their work coming from reconstruction, kind of hung there most of last decade. And with the uh, pandemic, um, we just uh, issued a report uh, uh, several months ago saying that 50% of of work at architecture firms comes from reconstruction activity. Um, I don't expect that to, to fall at all moving forward, and I expect it probably to even inch up a, a, a little bit more in the, in the future. We've got a slower growing population, a slower growing economy, um, a huge stock of older buildings out there um, that need to be upgraded and modernized and retrofitted. And, and I think the, the, the pendulum is swinging the other way in terms of, you know, the most energy efficient, uh, the most sustainable uh, form of construction is reconstruction. Um, and, and so I think that that's catching on. So I think we have both the, the economics and the politics of the situation pointing for pointing towards reconstruction activity. So I think we're going to continue to st- see strong activity in that in, 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 in that in those workloads moving forward.
0: Well, you've written about the difficulty we have tracking remodeling, renovation, and repair, and it's hard to quantify. And as you point out, it's an important part of the building design and construction market. And I think I've also read that you said one of the difficulties in tracking it is it's really specialty contractor or subcontractor controlled. You want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I think it number one reconstruction work tends to be smaller projects pete uh, uh number two often done by a uh you know one or a few specialty uh, subcontractor categories so uh general contractors don't uh, always don't see that work I, I think that's same on the uh on the residential side too, remodeling general contractors don't uh, always see uh, work that falls in that category. It might be an electrical upgrade, it might be a, a plumbing upgrade, it might be a, um, you know, uh, some work on the HVA system. You know, we're seeing a lot of heat pump uh, installation now and you don't, you know, you don't necessarily see uh, general contractors doing that. So um, yeah, I, I think a lot of that work is, is uh, um, uh, flying below the radar screen um, but like I say, when, you know, I think architects, uh, because there's usually some involvement, particularly on the non-residential side for any of those projects, um, I, I, I think are probably a better measure of how much work there is. And even they may be, uh, in, to some extent, under-reporting it, because if it is a simple sort of uh, specialty replacement uh, activity, uh, there may not even be an architecture firm involved in that.
0: What do you think is the lasting impact that the pandemic has had on building design and construction?
1: Well, there's a, that's a big one, Pete. Let me, let me run through some of these. Uh, num- number one, I think, is um, you know how people are using their homes, uh, how they've become more home-focused uh, because of all the activities that are going on there that didn't used to go on there. Uh, uh, remote work is is, is obviously uh, near the top of the list um, in 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 terms of you know how households are using their home. And so we're need you know when we talk to architects, uh, they tell us, for example, a home office is you know kind of an essential part of any design package now. And increasingly, it's you know a couple home offices, um, you know, or a Zoom room or so or something that that relates to uh, remote work. Kind of related to that is with all the remote work we still have out there, uh, about 30% of paid workdays are work remotely, worked remotely, according to uh, government data, um, gives households, a lot of households, a lot more flexibility on where they choose to live. So we're, we're seeing some pretty dramatic, uh, you know, locational outcomes uh, from this. And it's not the simple kind of as it used to be moving out of the northeast and midwest into the south and west. Uh, it's, it's more now moving from big urban areas to, um, uh, you know, suburban, uh, smaller towns, rural areas where uh, home prices are uh, less, uh, you know, more affordable, where, uh, you know, kind of natural environmental conditions may be more favorable. Um, and, 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 and so it's really, you know, we're, we're, seeing a switch in terms of construction activity, um, um, re- related to that. Um, and, and that I think is going to continue for a while now. I think we're, you know, I think remote work is, 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 is with us at least as a certain part of our life for, for, for the foreseeable future. And I think that's going to continue to see these locational, flows um, um, that that we have seen uh, over the last couple of years.
0: Kermit, I noted with interest when I went to the National Trust for Historic Preservation Conference here in Washington a couple of weeks ago that one of their featured speakers was the woman who is the Instagram influencer, Cheap Old House. And something I've been writing about for a long time was then validated by her, which is that these cheap old houses are what millennials can afford. And, of course, that drives remodeling because they buy the fixer-upper in you know, central New York, which is a cheap place to live, and then spend on fixing up those old houses.
1: Yeah, and I'm guessing customize it to what their needs are too, right. uh, Pete. So uh, you know, right. a, a different, different set of projects than they might have undertaken five or ten yeah. years ago.
0: And to your point about m- more functions under the, the house roof, Uh, At a parade of homes I visited in Minneapolis, the new homes had a media room, a workout room, a home office, a hobby room, a different room for every function that is now taking place in the home rather than somewhere where I might get covid
1: yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Let me let me elaborate on that a little bit too, Pete. I I I think you're exactly right that you know we were for many decades moving to kind of an you know uh, more of an open space format within a home. You know, kind of make the home look bigger, make make it flow into each other. And now in in our post-COVID world, our remote work world, we don't want that open outlook. We want some some private space. We want some space where we can you know have our Zoom calls without being distracted and things like that. So it's it, it's really kind of reversing. Several decades of, of design trends at, at homes.
0: Yeah, we, we it used to be that if the dog was barking in the background on a conference call, it felt unprofessional. But now that's just uh, I got Zoom calls with people whose cat is sitting on their lap while we're
1: <laughs> while For just a fact talking. of life. You even see that on on, on television interviews too. People, <laughs> right. someone's being interviewed, and the you know the the, 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 the the toddler wanders in, or the dog wanders in, or whatever. Right. So what's
0: the process by which you make an economic forecast? Is it a finger in the wind? Is it research among industry professionals? You've touched on how you do your architecture billings, a, a special mathematical formula. I mean, walk me through your thinking and your process.
1: So traditionally in a, in a cyclical industry like construction, you know, an interest rate industry, construction uh, housing, automotive, um, you know, business investment, we, we use a cyclical approach, uh, Pete kind of, you know, they, 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 the, those industries do have very distinct cycles. Uh, when, 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 um, activity begins to change, it changes pretty dramatically. So the, the key to forecasting those industries is kind of figuring out where we are in the cycle and, and where we're moving next. I spent a lot of my career um, doing that sort of forecasting. I'll I'll say that that's changed a little bit recently uh, with my work with the American Institute of Architects. Um, Architects are uh, by and large small businesses that are generally uh, focused on a fairly narrow segment of the construction industry. Um, not, Not exclusively, but I think that's that's what typifies the you know, 19,000 or so architecture firms across the country. And so for them, y- y- you need to condition any forecast on what sectors they serve and where they're located and things like that. Let me give you an example. We did a uh, um, um, th- th- this past summer at the uh, annual um, AIA conference. We had a panel on sort of business conditions, and, and I had two panelists participating in that. One worked for a large um, uh, kind of institutional slash engineering slash infrastructure firm in Austin, Texas. Uh, The other did multifamily residential work in St. Louis, Missouri. Those two firms couldn't be more different in terms of how they were experiencing economic conditions what the outlook was what kind of work they were doing and things like that so there's you know there there was no forecast that could uh, apply to both of them the, the the austin firm was going game busters didn't see any slowdown was having record levels of activity the st louis firm i think i mentioned uh, uh concentrated in multifamily residential and they were seeing incredibly weak conditions so i could Two examples I could give you—you you know, 50, uh, fifty others. Of if I'm working, as you said, Pete, in sort of central New York, I'm seeing very different conditions than if I'm working in uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, if I'm if I'm doing multifamily work as opposed to office work as opposed to healthcare work, I'm seeing very different conditions. So, forecasting in that environment, I think. Is, is more talking about how those different sectors are moving what they need to think about how, how it's influencing what their future workloads are, are are going to be and helping understand sort of what their peers are seeing too for architects again being small firm it, it's important for them to know what other firms in the area are doing that they might not have contact with so it's it, it's really more of a of an exercise of discussing the relevant sectors that they are working in the relevant regions that they're working on, in, and 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 uh, and helping them understand how that is going to influence future workloads.
0: There's no one size fits all. I think that's my takeaway, Kermit, on that answer. That's you know you mentioned um, the multifamily. Everything I'm reading about multifamily is that it's really hot right now. I think I read that there are a million multifamily units under construction this year. I think NHB says that. I really that's like double what it normally is. Have you heard that same thing?
1: Yeah, no, I've heard that same thing. And 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 the, the this is not to get too much in the weeds here, Pete, but the completions data are very strong, that a lot of uh, 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 multifamily projects that started uh, two, maybe even three years ago are getting completed now. And that's why we're seeing uh, falling rents um, uh, you know, across the country because we're seeing so much new supply. For architects, though, you've got to back up a year or two and they've seen uh, very weak conditions in the multifamily market for the last um, year, um, almost year and a half now. Um, all, those, all those projects that are being completed now were, were started uh, you know uh, months, quarters, years ago, and, and there's very little design activity going on. So for architecture firms, Multi, the multifamily uh, um, sector is is probably the worst one to be in right now. It's it's very likely to rebound, but right now they're seeing almost no work.
0: So, architecture billings are really a leading indicator of construction activity. Do you think the uh, investor multifamily investors were chasing? higher rents or, uh, a more fluid, uh, buyer demand? What do you think was the reason multifamily got hot there a couple of years ago?
1: We have a tremendous housing shortage out there, uh, Pete, and, and in particular, a tremendous affordable housing shortage. Uh, so we underbuilt pretty dramatically last, last decade. Um, and, and 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 so I, you, you, you know, as house prices went up, as as mortgage rates went up, a lot of households couldn't afford to buy a home, so they were renting one instead. Um, and I think that's what gave the surge to the demand on the rental side. Turns out that um, you, you, you know rents went up commiser- uh, commensurately, and so it wasn't an an option of, gee, I can't afford to buy so I'll rent. It was, I can't even afford to rent. So I will live at home or I will double up, um, you you know, with, with, with another household or another individual or something like that. So that, that's, I think what, what stalled that market. It's, it's obviously going to come back because we still are dramatically undersupplied, uh, with, with, with housing, but, um, for the time being, at least, um, you know, this market's fairly weak.
0: Just as an aside, uh, My kids are of first home buying age and are renting for now. And the cost of rent is right there with what they would pay a mortgage. But, of course, they don't have a down payment, and I don't have it to give them. Um, And so we talk about that, and they say, was was it like this for you, Mr. Miller? I say, well, when I was your age, kids, interest rates were – 18%. 18 percent I had a victory with a adjustable rate at 12%. but the difference is I had two expenses beer and gas and I'm going to date myself now beer was seven bucks a case gas was 40 cents a gallon. you kids are spending ten dollars a day on Starbucks, you got Netflix, you got Spotify, you got iPhones. you have more money to more things to spend your money on so that's why you can't afford. A house.
1: Yeah, let me just, add one other thing uh, to mention to your friends uh, and your friends' kids. Pete was that that house you were looking to buy at with a eighteen percent interest sold for fifty thousand bucks. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. Yeah, so and, yeah. and now
0: and now the average price is like four hundred and fifty thousand or or more. So you live in Boston. I imagine you travel to the AIA headquarters in Washington fairly frequently. These are two historic cities with a lot of traditional buildings. So you see a large inventory of existing buildings in need of repair or renovation or adaptive use. So my hunch is that you see old buildings wherever you travel, be it Chicago, San Francisco, San Antonio. So share your thoughts with me about traditional building, that market segment, a part of which is tax credit work, which the National Park Service says is a $6 billion piece of the construction pie. Talk to me about the markets that, uh, that we serve. Well,
1: I, you know, I, I think it's sort of an extension of a topic we were already talking about, Pete, that there's just much more focus on improving, enhancing, uh, sustaining the existing, uh, uh building stock. A lot of those are historic buildings. A lot of them are just kind of regular old buildings that were built in a different era and have, uh, you know built to different standards and have different needs and you know it's more cost effective more politically correct to think about fixing those buildings up um bringing them back to uh, um you know current standards in terms of energy efficiency and things like that and so uh, you know a lot of a lot of focus on that now a a contravailing trend is that you know those buildings were built uh by and large in urban areas and we're starting to see um uh, less interest in living downtown, uh, particularly if you don't need to commute to work every day too. So I think that's, uh, that, that's confusing the situation. We want to focus on, um, you know, the existing stock of buildings. We want to make them, uh, bring them up to contemporary standards. But in some cases, um, there's just not demand for those anymore. So we're seeing, you know, a lot of adaptation. There was a, um, a story recently, Pete, I don't know if you saw it, that the Flatiron Building in downtown Manhattan uh was being converted to condos and 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 luxury rental units you know who who would have thought uh um you know that 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 would go on but it's not really helping to solve you know our our some of the fundamental issues we are because those um those uh condos and luxury apartments the 40 or so that are going in the Flatiron building aren't going to be uh Aren't going to be occupied by low and moderate income uh, right. households, so it's um, you know it, it's creating a different situation in terms of where where the needs are and where we do have facilities at present.
0: By the way, census just told us that 8.2 million people moved last year from state to state, but if there's a migration from the urban centers, could this be good news for small town main streets that are also historic, smaller scale buildings, lower rise, but nice places to live. Could this be good news for Main Street?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that's exactly where we're seeing a lot of the activity in these, you know, uh, smaller towns, you know, walkable towns, uh, um, towns that uh, are, you know, have an affordable housing stock. Uh, I I think those are very, very attractive. Kind of a point we were talking about before that, you know, it's not these big regional shifts that we're seeing. It's it's really uh, much more local, um, you know, um, Parts of you know Texas, Florida, been big you know, uh, migration magnets in recent years, and it's it's not that simple anymore. It's not you know it's not the expensive places in southern Florida that are attracting population. It's the more affordable places in central and northern Florida. You know, same same for Texas too. It's not it's not the traditional uh, you know Dallas and San Antonio and Austin that are attracting uh, migrants. It's it's more affordable parts in. In, in smaller towns, quite, quite frankly, and even in urban areas. So it really is transforming, uh, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of what we, we're, we're used to seeing out there.
0: Yeah, I just wrote about how the, the states with the largest population growth are where the taxes are low and the weather is good.
1: There you go, there you go, pretty simple. Huh? Where you can buy an affordable home, right?
0: Right, right. So what management advice do you give professionals who work in the architectural market about navigating their future?
1: Well, I think most architects have learned that the market they serve is extremely volatile. Um, And, you know, we're seeing it from uh, from architecture firms even today that, you know, three or four months ago, uh, the biggest problem was finding staff, um, you know, trying to manage their current workload of projects and, and, and keep you know, keep moving forward on them, and for a lot of firms, it's just flipped over. You know, we have an excess staff, workloads have dropped. Um, you know, we we wonder where the next projects are gonna are gonna come from, and 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 I think that's endemic of anyone that works in the construction market. That um, you know, as they say in New England, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. You know, if you don't like trends in the construction industry, wait five minutes, because they're gonna they're gonna change pretty dramatically. And I think architects uh, can't be complacent with, you know, gee, we have a lot of work. We have, um, you know, we're sitting on eight, nine months of uh, of backlogs now, nothing to worry about because that can shift very, very quickly. uh, That backlog can disappear. We saw it disappear during the Great Recession as projects that they were thinking was future design work were put on hold or or canceled. Um, You know, work may not uh, come in, uh, projects they've been talking about with, uh, with clients for a while, a client may decide that in this environment, uh, you know, interest rates are too high, demand is too weak, and uh, they're going to hold off on that project. So, um, you know, it's really a, 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 great time to, um, you know, focus on keep in touch with your clients, focus on, uh, you know, what's going on out there, what, what segments are hot, what segments are not, not as hot. And, uh, um, be be willing to uh, pivot very, very quickly to these changing conditions.
0: Speaking of segments, Kermit, one of the segments that's particularly important in traditional building is universities, schools and universities. What do you think about the university segment or the traditional buildings on school campuses?
1: E- education is, um, you know, I think you're right one of the, you know, one of the most stable sectors there that a lot of architecture firms that work and particularly on higher ed, you know, um, just see uh, um, easy coasting kind of, kind of all the time. The, the, the thing to watch there is, is really, you know, um, demographic flows, you know, what's the age structure of the population. And, you know, obviously when baby boomers were going through that age, there was a lot of demand. um, And, and, and then uh, millennials gave that that, that segment, another boost also, um, you know, kind of a, a bit of a uh, population uh, slowdown now. So, um, you know, I think it'd be worthwhile to watch and see, you know, exactly how many, how much growth uh, these colleges and universities are going to be seeing in the, in, in the coming years. I, I, I agree with you. It's a terribly com- competitive market. Um, um, you know, when, when you and I went to Went, went, went to college, Peter, where, you know, we lived in sm- small dorms with uh, uh, very few facilities. And and, and now they uh, they look like uh, luxury housing. Four with, Seasons
0: uh, Resorts. Ex- yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, the sports, the sports complexes are amazing. So, um, but, it, you know, if, if enrollments go down, um, it's going to be hard to support that. So, um, you, you, you know, I, I, again, I think keep an eye on that, see where those trends are going and see how competitive, Uh, some of the colleges that they've done work with are are likely to be moving forward.
0: Do you think um, an international student body might help? I was recently in your town, Boston. I walked across the MIT campus and then I was at the Harvard campus. And what I noticed was how international it feels, like just kids, kids, all shapes and sizes from all over the world. And I'm just wondering if that's going to be the the, the saving grace for universities who see maybe domestic enrollment going down, but international enrollment, an opportunity.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're making a great point there, Pete, that, that the U.S. Has, has long been viewed as uh, having just uh, uh, really exceptional education institutions. So uh, as long as their home countries uh, continue not to invest in, in, in those facilities the way the U- U.S. has, I think uh, uh, that will be a, a strong... Uh, uh, provide a, a strong pool of future uh, future students
0: Well that is all the questions I had do you want to have the last word when's your next gig when's your next
1: speech Well I'm, I'm going to be down in, in 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 Florida the first of the year uh, talking uh, talking at a uh, an association meeting so um, yeah, you know, a lot of concern out there over Where's construction headed in 2024, and you know what's the market look like, and how do I sort it out? And and I will throw in one other quick quick topic here because um, and and I'm not going to dwell on it because I don't have the answer to it, but I think um, you know we're starting to see in design construction a lot more emphasis on technology, technology and investment, Pete. Uh, you know particularly as the um, kind of labor force for both of those sectors uh, becomes a little uncertain and, and 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 is a bit challenged and you know what can we do to make the workforce uh, a bit more um, uh, productive what what can we do to kind of offset some of the these you know uh, peaks and valleys that we see and and a really hard topic is what is what does AI mean for architecture what does AI mean for construction and um, that, that, that's something we could spend three days on, I guess, I'm guessing, Pete, and still not come up with a very uh, satisfying answer.
0: Well, I know what you mean. I play around with chat GPT. And what I get back, sounds like a high school essay, you know, <laughs> a lot of words, but it doesn't say much. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Kermit, it's always good to see you. Your answers are on point, insightful, and interesting. I'm sure our listeners will agree. Thanks for the time today.
1: Pete, good to be with you you bet. I'm
0: Pete Miller and you're listening to Building Tradition, brought to you by Traditional Building Magazine. Our Building Tradition podcast is produced by Ann White with technical assistance from Nate Gruca. Subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.